Welcome to episode 1245 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I am Justin Mason, joined, as always, on Sundays by Jason Collette. How you doing, my friend? I'm back. My my winter yeah. hiatus is over. <laughs> yeah. I missed How you, doing, buddy. Man? Yeah, it's been, uh, well, honestly, I mean, folks, it's been rather quiet. There hasn't been a lot. You know, Justin and I were just talking off air, and you know, we still have quite a number of of uh, of notable free agents still sitting out there and we're recording this on january 14th uh and spring training is uh what's where's my handy calculator at a uh, baseball savant 39 days until spring training games begin which means we're about 25 26 days from teams reporting to camp so uh, the, the rubber's gonna hit the road here at some point with some of these guys and uh, it'll be i'm curious to see where some of this is going to go uh, with this, but it's been kind of quiet, which is why we haven't really recorded on Sundays because there's not much. Usually the news is breaking midweek when you and Paul are talking uh, and Sundays, it's like, what are we going to talk about? So now that we've got a little bit to talk about, because Justin was ranting a little bit uh, in our <laughs> uh, in our long standing group chat, uh, group chat that we have with Paul and Eno. And before I forget, congrats to Eno for making the Fantasy yep. Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, that's totally awesome that he's in. I love it for him. Uh, all the way from God bless Buckner, where he first started writing way back when, uh, to the icon that he is now. Uh, so he he's done that. But in that long group chat, I was like, hey, Justin, if you want to rant a little bit more, let's talk Sunday. He's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not only are we only like 25 days from, you know, pitchers and catchers report and 30 some days until spring training game. Like we need to remember too, like spring training can be a little different this year uh, for some of the teams and for fantasy drafts, right? Because uh, there's the early series in Korea, mm -hmm. right? so like game, like real games start kind of like ten days earlier than they normally. Would. I'm running the Moneyball auction while those games are going on uh, yeah. because those games, I think, our Moneyball auction is is March 22nd, and, mm -hmm. and that's when that series is being played in Korea. And the last time we had this was. The Japan series, uh, 2019. Yeah, 18, 19. I remember yeah. uh, we were, we had Tower Wars that same weekend, and I think we were watching mm -hmm. watching some of the games, and then like, okay, let's go draft. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I'm pretty sure the weekend the games are going on, uh, that that'll be like the the big NFBC drafts in yes. Vegas. Yep. So uh, that will be uh, that. I mean, I, I know. There were uh, a few pretty crazy stories that came out of those Vegas drafts in 2019 when, um, I think it was 2019 when uh, the Japan series went on, uh, where one guy, uh, they call him the ghost over there on our uh, good friends, uh, the Road Warrior podcast, um, because he drafted like all of the guys who had already played. Like his, it was a Mariners and A series. And he drafted like his first six picks were all Mariners in, in A's um, because he'd seen them play. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, th that's going to throw us for a loop. So you got to think these free agents are going to sign soon. Uh, we're not going to talk about many free agents because we're going to talk about young players today. Some young pitchers, guys who were rookies last year. We had an amazing group, a really big group of young rookie pitchers. Uh, some of which are going to be going really, really high in drafts, some of which are going somewhat high in drafts. Um, but uh, before we jump into that, we will talk about one free agent signing, the one you alluded to, the one that angers me, the giant <laughs> signing Jordan Hicks to a four-year contract, I think worth $44 million, so not Correct. super expensive. The Moses Malone contract, full, full, full. Exactly. Uh, but 
he is going to he's signed to be a starter. Uh, what are your thoughts on this from a fantasy perspective? Is, is Jordan Hicks someone you're drafting? Uh, no, no. I, I, this is this one's puzzling to me uh, because I mean the Giants clearly have an archetype. You know, they have Logan Webb. They have Alex Cobb. They love sinker ballers. Yes, Jordan Hicks is a sinker baller. But there was a better sinker baller out there on the market, and we don't know. Maybe Marcus Stroman said, "No, I want more uh, average annual value," and that's why he went to New York. But to me, it's like Marcus Stroman was sitting there staring him in the face uh, uh, to this. But we don't know what happened behind the scenes. But Hicks going as a starter is is weird to me because it was only in 2022 that we last saw him as a starter. And he lasted about five weeks before he went down with an arm injury. And then he came back and was a multi-inning reliever. And we know he's good in that. Uh, and then the other piece of this for me is it's his his repertoire. He is a four-seam sinker sweeper guy and yeah he has had he has he has showcased a splitter uh for his off because you got to have something unless you're unless your fastballs and your sweeper are just so good like randy johnson type of thing but even randy johnson eventually came around with the changeup uh some type of thing so that to me is uh you know i look at i look at the percentage usage last year and 75% fastball, 23% slider, 1% change. He threw 18 changeups last year. So with Hicks here, I'm just concerned that if that splitter, most most of all, I'm concerned, is his body going to be able to hold up to this? Uh, because it wasn't that long ago that it, it didn't. Uh, so for me, but this contract's not too prohibitive where if, they, if the same thing happens again, if history repeats itself, and it often does, okay, we'll just make him a reliever. So this isn't too cost prohibitive where he's got to stay in the rotation, but I'm curious to see what San Francisco is going to do with him uh, with his repertoire and say, look, come to spring training, throw a bunch of these splitters and let's see what happens uh, type of situation. But overall I found, uh, I know you're frustrated with the signing. I was puzzled by it because uh, again, I thought Marcus Stroman was an ideal fit for what San Francisco likes to do with their pitchers. Uh, and this, there's a lot more risk associated with Jordan Hicks. And I don't know if there's any upside to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I understand they kind of have this mold of pitcher that they like with these sinker ballers. Uh, if you're going from a team perspective, right, I'll get to the fantasy side here in a second. If you're going to get these guys who are, are sinker ballers, like you need to have a good infield defense, which yeah, they true. do not. Like, <laughs> I think, you know, is like I like Tyro Estrada from a fantasy perspective, but he's not a good defender up the middle. Uh, Marco Luciano, I think, is fine. He's probably, you know, but he's young, so like he's gonna make mistakes in the field. Uh, you know, whoever they have playing, you know, third, whether it's JD Davis or uh, whoever, not good. Um, you know, Wade isn't great at first base. Like, these, these are not guys you want with a Marcus Stroman or a Jordan Hicks or even the guys I already have in Webb and Cobb, uh, pitching for you uh, when you've got this kind of infield defense. So, to me, it's a little bit puzzling. Like, I understand the Jordan Montgomery and Snell cost more, mm -hmm. but I just think you get more bang for your buck by going after these guys who, like, can be elite guys, I think, uh, you know, at the top of your rotation, where, I mean, Hicks just can't stay on the field. And, you know, he's never been able to, you know, he's never proven that he can be a starter long term. So, I don't know. Just to me, it just is kind of this ho-hum offseason where the Dodge and part of it is the Dodgers are just crushing yeah, the offseason. They've dominated the uh the news cycle, the battlefield, whatever you want to call it. Uh 
And eventually, some of these other things have got to come down to a bargain. I mean, we know that the the great cloud of the the media rights and everything this winter has certainly been a factor. Uh, but like, I'm looking at the the free agent tracker uh, on roster resource and crowdsource for Jordan Montgomery is five one oh five. I think that. I said I think I said six eighty in our group chat. And I'm probably in the low end, but I'm not sure he's going to get that number now. Yeah. Uh, and so there maybe if the crowd thought it was that, maybe he comes in lower than that. Blake Snell is five one twenty five, and and the rumors that he turned down five one fifty from New York. I think maybe that's more of just about New York than anything else. Uh, I don't know, but that eventually, I know teams are probably hoping they're going to get some bargains uh, out of this. But with Montgomery. Like you said, Montgomery would be worth the risk for me, and sna- and maybe it, Stroman. It was just that's where he wanted to go play um, type of situation because yeah. two thirty seven is definitely not cost prohibitive uh, for a team that owns their own stadium, doesn't have any media rights issues that I'm aware yep. of. So nope. yeah, they have the money. Yeah, I to me the Giants are just doing what you shouldn't do in a dynasty league, which is straddle the fence, either be yeah. bad or be good. Um, don't be one or the other. Don't stick in the middle and kind of hope you're going to backdoor your way into the playoffs, which is what the Giants are trying to do. Per- personally, I'd rather see them just tank. You know, you've got the Dodgers and, uh, that are going to be elite. I think the Padres and the Dimebacks are still going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, Dimebacks could be really good. Uh, the Giants aren't competing with any of those teams, no matter what they did this offseason. So just be bad. Be bad and rebuild the farm system, uh, but you know they don't listen to me. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, I'm kind of with you. Like I'm not super. In- I would have been more interested in Jordan Hicks if he had gone somewhere to be at the back end of the bullpen and compete for a closer job. Uh, I just, to me, as a starter, I mean, I may take a gamble here or there as uh, you know, in like a DC or something like that. But for the most part, I think, especially because I think his price is going to go up, pitching in San Francisco. I'm not super interested in Hicks as a starter, at least for this year. I mean, the projections, the projections now, Steamer has him for 115 innings, which is just under his combined innings total of the last two seasons. Uh, And again, he's never worked more than seven. He worked 77 and two thirds in his rookie season and has an eclipse 66 innings since. So you're asking a lot of somebody, Uh, maybe in a, in a uh, keeper league format, and, and he's crossing over. So let's say you are an NL only player and you're getting your shot at Hicks again, unless you're in one of those crazy leagues where you were able to keep him, even though he was traded last year and you got him back. Uh, so, you know, if you're in an NL only league and you have the option as a keeper, Hicks was interesting because again, if he goes, if, if history repeats itself and he goes back to the bullpen, there's a good chance for him to uh, get that value in years two and three, but year one, uh, I'm not excited about this move uh, for fantasy purposes. No, I mean, especially because the Giants have been notorious for, you know, they've got maybe one or two guys that will actually pitch deep uh, into a game. But other guys, they put them on these three-inning stretches, right? Like, and you know, we saw it with, like, Sean Maniah and Ross Stripling where they I wonder really, how Bob Melvin's going to change that. I don't know how much of that was Kapler versus, you know, the front office and Bob Melvin. I have a feeling it was front school. office. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, maybe they'll give us some more information as we get, yeah. you know, as pitchers and catchers report. But who knows what the Giants. As a reminder, I'm still kind of excited about the Giants and their running game this year with Bob Melvin taking over for Gabe Kapler. Gabe Kapler was not uh, a runner. Uh, if yeah. you look at the data, I wrote that's over and over the winter. Bob Melvin does like to push it and. Gabe Kapler didn't. So I'm looking for some uh, end game, 
end game value in some of those giants runners uh, that have the tools but weren't provided the opportunities previously to see what they can do to uh, change things. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's uh, let's talk about some young pitchers. We've got a big list. Again, these are all guys who were rookies last year uh, and are entering their second year, some of which are you know really high up in the ADP. We're going to start with one of them. That's Tanner Bybee, uh, who is one of my favorites, especially at cost this year, going to pick 109 over the last 30 days. Uh, any interest in Tanner Bybee where he's going? So you're going to hear a lot of me talking about team context uh, with guys uh, in this overall. And, and you and Paul do a great job of doing this uh, in other ones. I've heard it in a couple of recent podcasts, and it's one of the one of the uh, efforts I've been trying to put into my own writing uh, as well. Is just don't forget about team context. I mean, because I know we often get sucked into watching an awesome video of a pitcher or hearing Nick Pollock wax poetic about a pitcher. Uh, but at the same time, it's where that guy pitches. Uh, it, we'll get to a guy later. I love watching him pitch. I hate where he pitches. Uh, pretty sure you'll you'll understand when we get there. But like, if I look at last year, you know, when I look at Cleveland in and of itself, and we think of the team context of Cleveland, they struggle to score runs. When your team struggles to score runs, your starting pitchers struggle to get wins. And last year, when I look at the the earned auction values of the in a fifteen team mixed format. Bybee was the only starting pitcher on that team to earn a positive dollar value. That was it. He, uh, Shane Bieber was a zero. Logan Allen was a negative two. Gavin Williams, because he came up later in season, was a negative four. And I'm not even going to read off the horror stories after that. But they didn't have positive dollar values uh, with that. And my, I like Bybee. But again, I don't know. You look at last year, 298 ERA, 118 whip, 10 wins in 142 innings. You know, he certainly has the stuff to take a little bit more of a step forward, but I don't see this going from 10 wins with these good ratios to Cy Young contender. Uh, the the AL Central as a whole, the, the NL Central division is rather flat to me. I think, honestly, any team could contend in that one, um, even with what Chicago's done recently. But the, the AL Central still looks kind of flat as well, so the opportunities could be there. But again, that team does not score runs. And when you look at what Cleveland's done, yes, you'll have a, a, a more full season from Bo Naylor this year, along with Josh Naylor. But you still got Ramon Laureano hitting fifth and Kyle Manzardo. How's that going to go? Brian Rocchio and Miles Straw at the bottom of that lineup, Stephen Quant. There's still a, a very light hitting lineup. So I have, I like Bybee. I don't love him because of that team context. If this was the, the, the old Cleveland Guardians that could score runs, I'd be all in on this guy. Uh, but I just have my reservations that this is still the same punch and Judy team overall. Uh, and there's a way to pitch around this team and that the wins are going to end up going to more to the middle reliever. So he could be a, a 10 to 12 win pitcher, even if he goes 165, 170 innings this year. Yeah, I can see why you're a little cautious on Bybee. I'm not as cautious on Bybee because one of the things, one of the things I like with um, guys who are young like this, right? Uh, is do they have the floor? And uh, mm -hmm. we're talking about a lot of these guys uh, who have really, really big upsides, but man, the floor might be a lot scarier than the ADP's giving them credit for them. Right. Uh, and I think Bybee's probably the safest guy on this list. Um, you know, doesn't walk guys, doesn't give up home runs. I think there's some more strikeout upside in this profile. Yeah, I, I get the, the Guardians aren't very good, but that whole division isn't very good. And mm -hmm. 
somehow Cleveland seems to always find a way to be competitive. Even last year, uh, when it was probably their worst season in a number of years, they always just kind of figure out a way to be competitive um, and get guys wins. So I really like Bobby because he's cheaper than the Yuri Perez's and oh, yeah. uh, the Bobby Miller's and uh, the Grayson Rodriguez. But I think he's also safer than a lot of those guys though it may not have the the huge upside obviously like yeah this is I, honestly this isn't a bad price even his min his min is 92 his max is 129 and yeah. his adp over the last 30 is 109 and you know, we'll, we'll reference these data points a, a little bit throughout this podcast but last year he was being drafted at 654 and draft champions that's where he ended up finishing so he, he took a significant step forward whereas he was on the periphery of this cleveland pitching plans last year and then he became their most valuable starting pitcher so these things can happen uh but uh, I'm, I'm with you in that i i like i don't he's got a very high floor i just i would say he also has uh i don't know how high his ceiling goes because yeah. of the overall team context yeah and i think that is especially if you're in a 10 or a 12 team league you may end up start to go like hey i'd rather take a little bit of a higher you know higher ceiling gamble than mm -hmm. a guy like bobby which i get but i think guys like bobby tend to be overlooked a little bit because uh you know people don't think about the floor as much as the ceiling and i think especially when we're talking about 15 team leagues even a lot of 12 team leagues like you know the the pitching on the wire isn't as great as you would hope it would be especially if you're in a competitive league Right. Uh, and Bybee is a guy that, yes, he's probably not going to be an SP one or two at the end of the season, but I'd be shocked if he's not an SP four. Um, Especially so, with all the pitching injuries this year. With, yeah. with, with what we're missing to start the season, some of those names, like let's say all the guys that we're going to are missing, Bybee may be a little lower, but because we don't have, you know, like the Rays trio of pitchers, and we, I know I'm missing a few names, you know, Scherzer, you know, the, the, ball, the, the, the name value that we would typically have in drafts right now. I know it's pushing up some of this pitching prices. I can respect that. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about his teammate who definitely is a guy with a bit higher ceiling in Gavin Williams. Uh, but he probably doesn't have near the floor that Bobby does. Uh, Williams is going at pick 156 over the last uh, 30 days. Are you interested in Gavin Williams? Or are you staying away from him because of the team contacts as well? Uh, it's, it would be a factor. And again, he was six. He was right there with Bybee last year. Williams was at 648. And right now is men's 121. I'd be out on that. Uh, I don't want to, that's, you know, 15, that's eighth round pick, uh, for me, uh, that would be an eighth round pick, but his max has been 182. So somebody got a nice price there. And, I, and then you take a look at the guys around him, Merrill Kelly and Bailey Ober are going just in front of him. Mitch Keller, Jose Barrios, uh, the carcasses, Carlos Rodon and Chris Sale <laughs> are going right behind him. So in that, like, I would hope I would take Kelly. I'd like where the rankings are Kelly Ober and Williams and that, and those guys are going within three picks of one another. Uh, and so I would hope to get Kelly or Ober before Williams, but again, we're splitting hairs. We're talking about three picks uh, with that. So I, I would say looking at the ADP right now, I am comfortable where he is ranked, but I don't want like that 121 hard pass. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think I'm comfortable where he's ranked as well. Like I, this isn't uh, an ADP I'm necessarily running away from. I just I think he is uh, very 
roster dependent, right? In terms of you're a fantasy roster. If you've already taken some gambles with some low floors mm-hmm. already, or maybe some injury risk, like I probably don't want to draft a guy like Gavin Williams because I think there is just as good of a chance that he puts up a like a four five ERA than he puts up a three five ERA. Uh, and so if I'm trying to build a rotation that has a good mix of safety and upside, uh, this is a little bit of your upside here because I do think there is a world in which, you know, he's got a pretty big strikeout rate. He does, you know, he keeps the walks somewhat in check, doesn't give up home runs, and he's really, really good this year. I think there's also a chance where he doesn't keep the walks in checks. The home runs kind of come up a little bit uh, and maybe you get some strikeouts, but uh, you've given up a lot of three-run bombs as well. So uh, I I think if if I'm drafting, you know, really, really safe at the top of my rotation, then I feel a lot better about drafting Gavin Williams. If I'm not, then I'm probably not touching Gavin Williams. So let's play through that a little bit. Uh, sure. if, looking at the current ADP, so if I, like, I'm looking at uh, the last 30 days of making sure I got the right setting. Yes, the last 30 days of draft champions. So if I'm looking at... Like if I if I took Hunter Green at pick one thirty four, which is about uh, a round or two ahead of where Gavin Williams is going for, I think that looks like the combo you just said you would avoid. Like if you took Hunter Green, yeah. you wouldn't say look at like I you went offense heavy and you're not going to double tap pitching and take Hunter Green and Gavin Williams in back to back picks. Yeah, no, no way. I mean, I'll never take Hunter Green personally because I just I don't love his ability, his command and control uh, issues, and then the park on top of it. Plus, he was injured last year. But yeah, I think that I think that's a good kind. But even like, you know, like let's say I drafted how about Blake Snell. How about Bybee? Um, then I think those are a good pairing, right? Okay. You get you get the floor of Bybee and the ceiling of Gavin Williams. I think together you have a pretty good opportunity for uh, some good upside mixed with, you know, some good safety and Bybee. So I think that's the kind of pairing I'm looking at, especially if I'm double tapping or, or, you know, picking around each other or two get two starting pitchers around each other. For me, it's more of like, Hey, I'm not going to draft like a Tyler glass now um, with his injury risk and then add, you know, risk of, you know, really low floor later on. Uh, with a guy like uh, Gavin Williams, I'll throw another. I'll throw one last curveball at you because uh, he is essentially a second-year pitcher. What about Cole Reagans? Man, I love Cole Reagans, uh, and he's a guy I will be taking a gamble on. But I do think there is obviously quite a bit of risk, whether it's injury risk or whether he's just you know maybe what we saw is a little bit more of a uh, flash in the pan than uh, we're probably giving it credit for. I love what I saw from him in that stretch with Kansas City but mm-hmm. there is some ri- there is some risk that I don't think people are thinking well I guess people are thinking because I mean the ADP is not um it's not atrocious. nuts it's 106 yeah Reagan's is 106 over the last 30 days 84 122 uh min max so it's not nuts but he is going and he is going a couple of picks in front of Tanner Bybee he's going uh you know Dylan Cease is going about a round later Sonny Gray who I would say is a much safer guy doesn't have the upside, but is a much safer guy. Uh, Sonny Gray is at one seventeen, yeah. so he's going a full round later, and then then you get. But he's not going in like he's not going in like the Tariq Skubal, like him and Correct. Skubal he doesn't kind have of did the same. Of- they kind of did the same thing, and you know I know that uh, Reagan's had a couple bumpier starts down the, you know really end 
end stretch of the season, uh, as opposed to Scooble, who was just great the entire way. But like the difference in their ADP, and I like Scooble. I've drafted Scooble multiple times. He's um, in the top fifty right now. That's overall crazy, ADP. Right? Yeah, I'm adding to it. I've drafted. Like I said, I mean, I've drafted. I know I just drafted him in one of my uh, DCs that I'm currently in, and I drafted him another time. So of my five drafts I've got going that I either finished or I have going right now, I have, I have two shares of Tariq Skubal. So, um, but, you know, like I, it's not so much that I think that Reagan should be up there with him, but I thought that the market was going to put him up there with uh, Skubal. Um, so... I, I'm totally fine with where Reagan's is going. Okay. Uh, I haven't drafted him very much, though. I haven't drafted yet outside of XFL. Good for the you. only draft I have. I, I do have a draft champion, one of those, I guess they're sprints, like 55 seconds between picks. Mm -hmm. I have one scheduled for next week, but I've had to push it back two weeks because it hasn't filled up. So um, we shall uh, we shall see uh, when that when that rolls. But I haven't drafted yet. I'm, I'm hoping to put together an auction. Um uh an online auction at some point here in the next few weeks if you are interested in that jump into the discord or uh just dm me um cool. or tweet at me on twitter because i'd like to see if we can get 15 people because i want to live stream it um and i want to get used to using the nfbc uh, auction software so. you know yeah i've never used the nfbc auction I software uh oh so hey quick question while we're talking about NF nfbc software uh mm -hmm. is the uh the underscore ARF leagues are those uh drafts or are they auctions I have no idea what you're talking Marf, about or those those leagues oh the oh those are yeah. uh oh the the earth leagues um yeah, they the are leagues, they're they're snake drafts snake drafts okay cool yeah because yeah. I am a I'm joining Wharf I'm gonna be mm -hmm. in the Waffle House area what's the RF stand for I'm sorry uh area roto fantasy there we go. Okay, I, yeah. I am I am joining that one this year. Uh, the date worked for me because it was in February. Because <laughs> March is already full, I can't do anything else in March. Yeah, and that's why we decided uh, <laughs> that we would try to make all of the uh, all of the uh, Earth leagues uh, in in February this year. Try to have them all around the same time and I love it. Keep them away from all our drafts in uh, in March. So. Yeah, because everything's uh, yeah. jammed. Because every every time I see conversation about, it, it's like, oh, that's great, that's great, and then. Oh, we draft this date. Nope, sorry. March is March is completely full and, between what I'm committed to and what I auctioneer. I don't have any free weekends in March anymore. And you got into uh the one with the best name. Um yes. I, you know, uh Waffle House Area Roto <laughs> Fantasy League for the kind of the Atlanta, you know, southeast uh is is uh, just an 80 grade name. And I um, ate a Waffle House this week in Charleston, South Carolina. It was right never, from my hotel. Never I love Waffle, Waffle House, man. You can't uh, it, you can't make it a habit, but every once in a while, it is definitely a, a treat yourself moment. Go get some more class. It, it's on it's on the bucket list. I'm gonna make it happen <laughs> at some point. Uh, moving on to a different uh, guy, different team, Kodai Senga. Uh, now, I mean, you know, I I I always feel a little conflicted about calling guys who come over who have been playing professional baseball in Japan or Korea. Uh, and uh, come over, you know, at the age of, you know, 25 to 35 and calling him rookies. But that's what Kodai Senga was last year. Uh, and in spite of, you know, kind of a little bumpy start to the season, he was fantastic uh, for the Mets. 
are you drafting Kodai Senga at around pick 68? I am. Uh, and this is where I would argue your point about Bybee being the safest pitcher on this list. To me, it's it's Senga. Uh, that's the guy that I would uh, lean at. And yeah, I know the overall numbers. There was some issue with walks, but a lot of that was front loaded. Uh, as the season got on, he looked the Senga looked a lot better uh, in that regard. So I think Senga is the best second year pitcher on this list myself. Uh, and I like the you know again looking at the. Uh, Looking where he's being taken, he's going just behind starting pitchers, Max Freed, Grayson Rodriguez, and Blake Snell. And then he's going just in front of Bobby Miller, Yuri Perez, Jesus Lazardo. I mean, it's a it's a nice class uh, for that. But Senga is the guy that I would take because if I'm trying to project, like, who's going to give me the most innings on this list, I would say it's going to be Senga. And, and like a three-to-one favorite to be the, the innings leader on all the pitchers we discussed on this one. Yeah, I think I am pretty close to you in terms like you know you're gonna get strikeouts. He was really, really good in the second half. And I yeah. usually like to give guys coming over from different leagues uh kind of a year transition period because I feel like it's just a hard not only transitioning to major league baseball from you know, let's be honest, easier leagues. Um, you know, Japan is better than you know some of the other ones, but uh, it is an easier league. It's it's a kind of a transition time. You're also transitioning just to living in a completely different country, away from your family, away from everything you've known, away right from the, the language stuff. that you've normally spoken, right? Um, and so to see that, you know, he had a little bit of struggles in the first half uh, and then was just dominant in the second half. I agree. I think you're right that he probably has the safest floor and has a huge mix of upside. I have no problem taking Sanga where he's going. Uh, so uh, just to piggyback to piggyback off your thoughts about the 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 pitch the pitchers coming over from uh, overseas the the life culture and all that did you look at uh, Yamamoto who's currently gone as high as thirtieth overall his ADP is fifty one how much of that market price do you think is being impacted by the success Senga had last year in his first year over um I think a little bit I think it's more a matter of just all the talk about him. I think the WBC was big in terms yeah. of kind of driving up the price, but I think he's just the, I think there are a lot of people that have really, really pumped him up rightfully. So, I mean, he's been dominant in Japan. Um, he, you know, he's now on, you know, one of the best, if not the best team in baseball. So, you know, he's going to get a lot of wins. I can't pull the trigger on that high of a price. Cause I think that, Right now, you know, he's uh, around pick 48, 49, something like that. He's going as a staff ace. He's being dra- He's been drafted yeah. as somebody's top pitcher, but he's going as a staff ace. Yeah, I mean, if you take out the relievers going in front of him, which are Hader, Edwin Diaz, and Devin Williams, he's the 12th starting pitcher off the board. Uh, oh, and you got to take out Otani, who's technically pitcher eligible, um, but obviously not pitching this year. So he's the 11th starting pitcher off the board. Like, that's insane to me. And I think it's going to go higher. Like, I, I honestly do. And I know there's been a lot written about him from people that we really, really trust in the industry. Right. You know, um, including like Eric Loggenhagen and Eno Saris. And they all think he's going to be really, really good right away. We don't know how guys just transition. Like, the stuff I was just talking about, you know, in terms of like, you know, first time in a new, you know, living in a new country, you know, new language, uh, you know having to pitch on different you know, kind of schedules than you're used to, you know, under different circumstances than you're used to, plus going up against the best competition in the world. 
do I think Yamamoto is going to be fine, you know, for the most part? Absolutely. Am I willing to spend what I think is going to be a top two or three round pick? Uh, no. I am not. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not like, you can't tell me that it is better to take Yamamoto than to take Aaron Nola. Like, okay, we're, we're aligned then. <laughs> yes, so I just like, when I look at that, it's like wow. Because I mean, every we see it with other things too. When when a rookie has a good year, the next year's class, Elliot gets pushed up because the the risk that we're all like, oh, rookies are not well. They were good this year, so it's like, hey, let's elevate this year's class. Oh, I can't believe that blew up in my face. So yeah, I, I just when I see that he was a fifty-one and it's gone high as the end of the second round in a draft champion, I'm just like, wow. Yeah, wow, I, th- wow, I wow. think he's. By the time we get to March, um, especially if there's any major pitching injuries, which there always are, mm-hmm. um, I think that Yamamoto is going to be firmly in the second round. Like, I think he is going, like, I think his ADP will be in the second round. Um, and that is just, that's just way too rich for me. Um, all right. Uh, we're both on board with Senga. Let's talk about the Dodgers trio of younger guys. Hey, you know, Yamamoto is going to be part of that. Of yeah, right. Um <laughs> We've got oh that's right <laughs> essentially but <laughs> yeah I, I didn't even think about it when I when I uh, uh, but we'll we'll start with Bobby Miller uh, going to pick seventy five uh, Bobby Miller is probably one of my top if not my top second year starting pitcher targets um, the problem is I think that price the price has already gone up I think it's going to continue to go up uh, pick seventy five you interested and this is all the Hall of Famer Eno Saris's fault I mean yeah. It, Flashback to our our Arizona first pitch, uh, Arizona Fall League first pitch podcast. And if you had to be in the room uh, to see Ito pretending to rub cheese over his body when talking about Bobby Miller, that's how much the pitching guru loves Bobby Miller. And he's written about him and he's talked about him. Anybody who saw that uh, hilarious moment in Arizona, that's what we're dealing with. And so it's everything we just applied to talking about Yamamoto, uh, Yamamoto and uh, and Senga could see the same thing happening with Bobby Miller. That price is only going to come up. And the team context, uh, as we've alluded to, is beautiful. Could be an amazing team. It could challenge the 2001 Mariners for wins, and those wins are going to trickle down to these pitchers. So, yes, th- that's the great part about all of this. But you look at the, the market price, and currently he's a top 75 overall player. He's gone as high as 63, so he's only – you know, that would put him in the in the fifth round. Yes, 15 pounds, 460. Yes, that puts him in the fifth round of a draft champion. Uh, and that's probably your second pitcher. Uh, mm-hmm. I, he's gone, and then he's gone as low as 89. Uh, it's like, it's tough. When, when everybody that you follow is this high on somebody, it's tough to say you're not. Uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of where I'm sitting at. With ADP right now, and he's in the fifth round, I would go back to one of your earlier comments, Justin. It depends on who you take as your first guy. I would not be taking Bobby Miller as my first overall pitcher. I'll let somebody else do that with more risk. But if I can pair him up, if I could take him with somebody like Pablo Lopez or George Kirby and then come back, like if I went hitter, 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 and then could double up with something like that, I need some. I need a, uh, a safer SP1 uh, yeah. to take Miller that high. But if I went hitter, 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 then I could go in and do a, a – well, Castillo would never be there, but I'm, I'm trying to look at if I were to role play that out, that could be a Nola. That could be a Nola and a Miller. Like I would have mm-hmm. – I, I could do that. I could take hitter, 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 Nola, Miller, and be happy with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm completely in lockstep with you. 
uh, doesn't walk many guys, doesn't give up many home runs. Uh, you know, I know these, you know, Caper nine was under a batter and inning, but I think there is some massive strikeout upside, a full arsenal that he's pretty good at commanding uh, on the best team in baseball. So, you know, a lot of wins are coming his way. Uh, like I, I, it, every year there are guys who are kind of like, Hey, these are, these are the second year guys that could jump up and be, you know, next year we'll be talking about him as a top five pitcher. Bobby Miller is that dude, I think. Like, he is legitimately one of those guys that could and may actually do that. So, like, I have no problem. I agree with you. I want kind of a staff anchor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if I'm taking a starting pitcher in the first or second round, uh, which I do sometimes, uh, then Miller's on the table. If I am waiting a little bit longer, mm, I may not. Like, right? I I think I do want a Castillo or a... Garrett Cole or uh, um, Pablo Lopez or George Kirby ahead of him. But um, if I compare him with a guy who I think is a really solid, strong ace, then I'm going to be really, really happy. And I'm glad you brought up Kirby because that's what I've, that's where I view Miller this year. I mean, if you think about yeah. Kirby last year, you could see that going into the season, you're like, Hey, this may be my guy. This may be. My... And then I, if I'm correct, I believe Kirby ended up going $20 in AL labor. And Kirby was a guy that I really wanted last year. And it just, the price got out of control. I don't know if he went to Eno. I forget uh, with that. But that's where I see Miller. Miller making yeah. that George Kirby-like step forward. And Kirby right now is the ninth overall pitcher. And, well, eighth, if, again, if we take out Otani because now no closers being drafted in front of him. So now Kirby is a top 10 starting pitcher based off what he did last year. Uh, but you could see that helium happening in spring training and such, and that's what I see happening with Miller. I, I, that's I think those two are, are symbiotic if, in that regard. If that price goes up, are you still in? Because I think you're right. I think he is going to be going inside the top 50, top 45 by the time we get to like end of March. Are you willing to take the shot on Bobby Miller if you have to spend a – third or early fourth round draft pick on not no because the scenario i played out earlier where i said i could take him along with nola or i could take him like hitter 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 nola miller well in that case it would be nola or miller and Mm -hmm. i'm going to default to the the veteran workhorse over the upside of the rookie uh just about every time okay uh ryan pepio was part of the dodgers young (laughs) pitching uh, pitchers i when i wrote this in, in you know late last night i didn't even remember the fact that he was traded but he is on your tampa bay Rays. i really liked pepio uh last year i i uh picked him up i rode him to uh some championships in leagues um i i think there are some people that are probably going to discount him now that he's not in la i think that's a mistake i think this is a great landing spot for ryan pepio where are you at on Ryan Pepio, who is currently going around pick 197, the cheapest guy we've talked about so far. Yeah, I mean, so I will say this, uh, since I haven't had a chance to, to be on what since this trade was made, when I when I heard that Glassdown was going to be traded to the Dodgers, my immediate reaction was, I hope Pepio's in the return. That was, that was my immediate reaction, because it was a, a $25 million final year contract for for glass now, Rays didn't have a lot of leverage here. So it's like, I was forget who I was talking to, but it was like somebody was like, Miller, Sheehan. I'm like, there's no way those guys are on the table in this situation, but Pepio could be had. 
Uh, and so I'm glad I'm glad that where he's going. If you look at the profile, the fastball changeup is just what they always love to uh, to work with. Uh, I just have some flashbacks. I remember some issues where he was having trouble with lefty laden lineups, even with the changeup. If I believe that's right, uh, but he was having some issues where he gave up a bunch of home runs. Um, with that, uh, I just remember one or two outings. Uh, maybe it was a righty. I forget because I'm looking. The splits are pretty uh, pretty darn nice. But if they could come up with some type of break if they teach him this if they go and say okay hey pepio here work on this pitch because they always do it's one of the homework things they like to do and maybe he jo maybe he joins the sweeper resolution uh, revolution because a lot of rays were doing that last year because pepio was pretty much fastball change up and okay here's a slider and maybe they tweak that slider into a sweeper and pick up some more strikeouts uh for that so i you know looking at the price again team context you know, often I know our gut reactions, the Rays don't score runs, but if it wasn't for the Rangers last year, the Rays had one of the best offenses in baseball last year. They, uh, yeah, and with the runs, now obviously that offense is going to change a little bit this year. Uh, but, you know, it's so even if it comes back down a little bit, they still, they're not the, uh, they're not the guardians uh, in that regard. And so when I look at right now, uh, Pepio is going just behind Shane Boz, and I'm not sure Shane Boz even makes 100 innings this year. Uh, but he, and he's going just behind Nathan Neovaldi, Shane Bieber. And then he's going in front of his teammate, Aaron Savali, Brandon Fott, who we'll talk about a little bit later, and the recently relocated Lucas Giolito. So market price, fair. I don't have any I don't have any concerns with this, but I would say, you know, just looking at the raise balance right there in the middle, Pepio's gonna give me more innings than Boswell this year. I am I'm really down on how much any how many innings Boswell pitched this year because he just never has. Never. Yeah, I'm <sighs> Pepe is a guy that I, I think I've overlooked a little bit in, in some of my early drafts, and I think that's gonna got to change because I really, really like uh, what he's able to do in terms of keeping men off uh, the base paths uh, via via the walk. Um, mm -hmm. I think he is a strikeout and inning type of guy. Uh, you know, there are always going to be questions with Ray's pitchers, especially the young guys, like how many innings does he get? You know, he's coming off a year in which he only threw – about uh, 64 innings. So, you know, maybe I know like Steamer's got a projection of 136 for him. That may even be a little bit heavy, but um, yeah, I, I would, I would take the under on that as well. Yeah. I, I, I'd probably be more at about 120, but I think it's going to be a good 120 innings. Um, and I really love what the Rays do with their, with their pitchers. Uh, they always seem to unlock something. We see it every single year with these guys. So uh, yeah, I'm, Pick 197. Like I just don't think there's that much risk uh, because that's a that's a guy you can drop if for some reason he isn't uh, producing. So uh, yeah, I like Pepe a lot. What about his former teammate Emmett Sheehan going to pick 237? Do we even know if he's going to be in the rotation? And what are your thoughts on whether or not he's worth that price? Yeah, that's the question mark because there was you know there's also been conversation that perhaps they go to a, the Dodgers go to a six man rotation. Mm -hmm. So if they do, then, I mean, right now he's in competition for the fifth spot. And you look at, you know, Dustin May had flexor tendon surgery in the middle of June or July. So don't see him coming back mm -hmm. right away uh, and trying to look at what else, you know, what else they may do. Michael Grove and Gavin Stone are still in, in capacity, which is one of the reasons why Ryan Pepio was available, because the Dodgers still do have a lot of upper level pitching uh, available to them in this capacity. So. I mean, I like Sheehan. Again, team context. I would like to take if it comes down to you know, I want to go back and look at uh, where the where he's going currently. 
because team context is always going to be a tiebreaker, a tiebreaker for me. So he's going uh, for pitchers, Reed Detmers, Brian Bayo, uh, Christopher Sanchez, three pitchers going right in front of him, Tristan McKenzie, Charlie Morton, and Yusei Kikuchi are three pitchers going after him. Uh, of that six, I like Bayo better uh, myself. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Charlie Morton, he's – Normally, vets are the guys that I want, and Atlanta's certainly a good team context, but he showed signs uh, that concerned me last year that I don't want him as much. I like the step forward that Kikuchi took last year uh, with that, and Sanchez I certainly like as well. So I could see myself looking at other guys around that. I mean, these all those pitchers I named, and then Nick Lodolo, all these guys are going right about the same round. Uh, I don't see Sheehan being the best of that group myself, or maybe not even the second best. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at this as kind of a risk-reward play. I think in a 10 or a 12-team league, I might take the gamble on a guy like Sheehan. The only uh, – well, I guess, I mean, he threw – between AA, AAA, and the majors, he threw around 130-ish innings, 125, 130 innings. So I guess, like, innings shouldn't be a huge issue. They definitely are going to move, a t- like, a six-day or a six-man rotation of some sort. To kind of, I think one protect Yamamoto, uh, yeah. but two also protect all the other guys. I mean, they've got a lot of guys who are, uh, you know, young and maybe on some sort of innings restrictions. They've mm-hmm. got Tyler Glass now who can't get over 120 innings in a year. Um, so, like, I think that they are definitely going to move to some sort of, you know, hybrid rotation. It was talked about in the Mining News by uh, Jeff Silverman, which is a fantastic article you should uh, check out every time Absolutely. it comes out. Hey, how about out. this question? How about between mm-hmm. – so the projected projected five on roster resource right now, Yamamoto, Glassdown, Bueller, Miller, Sheehan. And I, get, I mentioned Stone and um, Grove uh, that are also in AAA. Do you see any of those guys exceeding 140 innings this year? Realistically, not bold. No. Like I made the bold predictions that Tyler Glassdown is winning the Cy Young this year and he's going to throw 160 innings, but that's a bold prediction. But I'm like, realistically, do any of those guys exceed 140 innings this year? The only, and it's going to be weird for this, the only one that I really think that has a, a, a really good opportunity. Um, I mean, I guess Yamamoto does, and I think Bobby Miller may, okay. um, but. Uh, I wouldn't bet on it. Like I, I think, especially because I think that the Dodgers also have to account for the fact that they expect to be in the World Series, so they Correct. expect a lot of these guys to put on an extra 25, 30 innings in the postseason. Um, and so, do you want them going more than a hundred? And you know, do you want them hitting two hundred innings in the postseason? I don't think you do. So, I think a lot of them. Uh, are going to be capped or skipped or put on the IL or, you know, they're going to do things, especially because I think everybody, including myself, thinks that they're going to have a massive lead halfway through the season in this division. I don't think there's, there's always so much they can do with the, with the new rules, you know, roster, like in the old days, they'd call up five, seven pitchers in September and just give these other guys like work. Right. Uh, but in season, like I'm looking at the roster right now, uh, Miller and Sheehan obviously have options, so they can move them mm-hmm. up and down. You could easily see them being sent down uh, to AAA during the All Star break, just to you know to to stay away. Uh, but like you look at their bullpen, and most of the guys are out of options. They got Fire Eyes and Vesia and Gratterall, the only guys that they can move up and down. So they're kind of limited between the rules and what they currently have on the roster. But I, like I said, I would. It's not going to shock me to see Miller or Sheehan take a break in the middle of the summer uh, to go down uh, around the All Star break and do something like that. But I just, 
like I said, if if the, if the Dodgers are as good as they look on paper, it will be curious to see how they try to manage a team that has you know Bueller coming back from injury, Glass now with his history, two young arms below uh, that are twenty five or younger, and then a, a a pitcher is used to working once a week, uh, all coming over. Yeah, I mean, if anybody is going to figure it out and figure it out in a way that's extremely advantageous, it's the Dodgers. Yeah. They are the best team in Spoken the history. Spoken as a true, a true giant hater. Yeah. They a, true, a true Dodger hater, rather. <laughs> in the history of baseball at manipulating rules. Not breaking them, but bending them just enough, figuring out the loopholes, which, don't get me wrong, as a Giants fan, I hate, right? Yeah. But as a fantasy player, um, I truly respect what they do. Like, I don't like it because it, it screws with our fantasy teams a little bit, but um, like, I respect the hell out of the way they figure out how to circumnavigate all the rules, and their team always seems to come out ahead because of it. So. And we always, I mean, we joke around about the you know, the Yankee tax, the local tax. Like, if you're in a Boston league, Red Sox are gonna mm-hmm. go for more players. Like, now it's like the Dodger tax, Dodger that's tax. not gonna apply just to California leagues, that's gonna apply to everywhere. Everywhere, there is an yep. absolute Dodger tax this year. Absolutely. Uh, let's go kind of back up the ADP and talk about Yuri Perez, uh, who is a guy who legitimately saved my season in a number <laughs> of leagues last year because I went all in on him when he came up in fab and he worked out. Now, there were some kind of uh, really low points down the stretch as he seemingly tired out uh, for the Marlins. He's going at pick 76 right now. Where are you at on Yuri Perez? I'm not there. Uh, and this, 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 one of this, when I was doing the the show research, this was one of those team contexts that really jumped out to me. I mean, this is a different Miami lineup. Uh, there was even rumors that they may trade Luis Arias. I saw something the other day about you know he's somehow being shopped around, but they don't have Jorge Soler anchoring this offense anymore. Yeah, Jake Berger was fun last year, uh, but it's still Jake Berger, uh, and we can see which way things, which way that goes. But this offense overall does not impress me on paper as much as it did last year. And so for me, this is a team context thing, and I am not in of that price. So when I was looking, if going back to say, okay, where are things? And again, this isn't anything against the pitcher. This is just where the pitcher happens to pitch. But yet that is not the guy that I foreshadowed earlier. I mean, like right now, his teammate Jesus Lazardo is going just behind him, and then we got Joe Ryan going. Uh, a, almost a full round behind him. Zach Eflin going around behind him. And then just in front of him, there's Senga, there's Miller, uh, and Grayson Rodriguez. So like that in the trio, I already said I felt Senga was the safest pitcher on this list. So I would take Senga over Perez all day long. And then afterwards, I would take Ryan or Eflin over Perez just because of, of team context, especially Joe Ryan. I know he's got his issues with home runs and whatnot. We're still talking about the AL Central. Uh, and so Perez, the pitcher, I like quite a bit. Perez going as high as 58, I do not like at all. Yeah, I think I'm 100% on board with what you're saying. Like, I I really like him from a straight sales perspective. And if we were to talk about projecting five years in the future, um, who is the guy that we think is going to be the best on the list? My money might be on Yuri Perez. You know, he was 20 years old last year. He'll be 21 at the, you know, beginning part of the season this year. And he was amazing, especially in the, you know uh, the first half of that call up. Uh, he definitely tired out. I'm not going to penalize him for that, uh, especially because they played some games with him to try to you know try to save him for the stretch run and, yep. and all that. I think that that may have messed with him a little bit more than they were intending. 
But the problem is exactly what you said. If we're talking about this year and this year only, he's going right next to Bobby Miller. He's going right behind Cody Senga, right in front of Zach Eflin. I'm not as high on Joe Ryan as you are, but I am super high on, on Zach Eflin. I, I have drafted uh, Yuri this season. I probably will continue to draft him, but it's more of a fallback option when he drops in a draft. And he does drop uh, every once in a while. I got him inside of like, or just outside of pick 90 in uh, in one of these drafts. So uh, I think he's one of these guys that if a lot of these other guys are going to be going up as we move uh-huh. closer and closer to drafts, other guys have to drop. I think Yuri is a guy who could drop. And if that's the case, I'm totally fine with it because I think once he gets past, you know, guys like uh, Justin Steele, who's at pick 103 or 104, um, you know, even past Cole Reagans, um, then I start being really, really interested. Um, you know, I think he probably should be going in the Tanner Bybee area, the Sunny Gray area. And I think if he starts going down there, then I'm going to be more interested. There's massive upside here. But there is also massive downside. I don't know how good the Marlins are going to be. Um, he definitely showed he has uh, can have a homer problem when he gets tired, when those mechanics get a little out of whack. Mm-hmm. He's kind of tall and lang- uh, you know, lanky, which uh, makes it more difficult to repeat those mechanics. When he's on, I think he is got the potential to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. I'm willing to bet that he'll get there eventually. I just don't know if it's this year. Tall and lanky guys are the absolute worst. Uh mm-hmm. So in all seriousness, hi, Paul, uh, you know, with, <laughs> obviously this is a blind, this could be a blind spot for me. This t- t- tends to be a type of profile that I'm, I fade out of, out of hand. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's turning 21 this year and 21 year olds are typically in low A ball and to his credit, Perez has pitched 91 and a third at the major leagues at that age, which speaks to what, how good his stuff is, but a team, any team in baseball is not going to push the pedal with a workload. We saw it last year. They tried to manipulate this when he was 20. Uh, and it, the, all the history shows what could happen, what could potentially happen with these types of guys. So for me, it's like, if you're, if you're drafting all team upside, you mentioned Bobby Miller earlier, fine. Take Miller and Perez. That's all yeah. upside, all upside, but that's a, a, a ton of risk uh, that yeah. you're inheriting, especially if you're looking at, uh, you know, if, if, Perez has a, a relapse like he did. If the tiredness was a precursor to an injury that tends to hit pitchers about this age, you know, that type of issue. So if your team upside, have at it. Uh, but this is, I can find six, seven guys below him that I would rather have. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, let's move on to another guy who is even further up the ADP. And I think for good reason is Grayson Rodriguez. Grayson Rodriguez really struggled in his first go around, went back down to the minors, came back up. And then he was lights out kind of pretty much the rest of the way going to pick 66 right now. Are you in on Grayson Rodriguez? It was extremely impressive to watch the growth that Rodriguez had in season between, as you mentioned, between the demotion, his first go around, and then he comes back up. Because if you go back and look at the game log, they sent him down at the end of May after a three and a third, six hits, nine runs, eight earned, three bombs against Texas. And then they brought him back and said, hey, face the Dodgers in your first start back. And he went five innings, gave up seven hits, four runs, struck out four, didn't allow any home runs, though. And again, that's the Dodgers. And then, like his coming out party, he pitched against Tampa Bay, struck out six, 
got a no decision, went to the Yankees, did the same. Like he was on a roll and it was, it was night and day because uh, I watched a number of his starts and he went from a guy that struggled to find location to a guy that was arguably one of the better pitchers in baseball down the stretch. And so I, again, when you see the kind of in-season growth from Rodriguez, extremely impressive. And then again, team context, that is a good team. Yes, they overperformed a little bit last year. Yeah, this is me being jealous. You were hating Dodgers. I'm going to hate on the Orioles. <laughs> you know, they had a golden horseshoe up their ass because they won 101 games. And I think they're expected. The Pythagorean was something like 93, 94. They won a lot of close games. Uh, and it happened. And right now, Rodriguez is going 66 uh, in the last 30 days, high as 47, low as uh, min is 47, max is 75. Uh, and I'm looking at guys going in front of him. I would rather, I would still rather have Senga, but honestly, that's it. I, I'm fine with taking him, but I'm not taking him as my one. It, it depends how right. I build my team. Rodriguez can't be my one. That's just my way of playing. But I'm fine with where he's been taken. But if you're if you're looking at Rodriguez saying, "Hey, this is going to be my guy," and he's going 66 right now, so that puts him in the fifth round. You got to find another pitcher. That means you're got you know you're going to have to take another pitcher early on, and maybe you're punting close. That you're put you're not going to take your first closer until the next round, which is fine because right now if you decide in the first five rounds you're not going to take a closer, you're out on Williams, Diaz, Hater, Classe, Duran, Doval, Iglesias, Bednar is who you're out on. And then Romano is going right after Rodriguez. Diaz is going right around there. So it depends on where you're, how you're trying to build for saves. If you're somebody who's like, I got to have my anchor, then you're probably not. It's going to be tougher to roster a closer yeah. and Rodriguez is your first two pitchers. Yeah, I think that becomes one of the issues for me because I, I do prefer to have one of those kind of anchor closers. And this is right around one of the spots where you're going to need them. That being said, when we're talking about just Rodriguez, uh, I love him. I absolutely love him. You look at what he did when he came back from the minors. He was almost at a strikeout inning, 24% strikeout rate, uh, kept the walks down, only allowed three home runs in that 76 and two-thirds. That ballpark's uh, great, man. Yeah. like <laughs> The ballpark is great. Everything you want had an over 50% ground ball rate with that 24% strikeout rate. I think there's more strikeout upside in there. Uh, I if If we were going to guess – um that one pitcher out of this group is an sp1 next year it's either bobby miller or grayson rodriguez i don't think it's particularly close to the rest of the field the fact that you're getting him uh oh i guess Senga could be could be on that list as well obviously um mm -hmm. the fact you're getting him where he is right now means you gotta pay up a little bit more than maybe a lot of people are comfortable for it one of the reasons why i haven't gotten him in uh, a draft as of yet is because of that. Uh, but, man, I think the upside is undeniable. Is for a top pitching prospect in all of baseball for a reason, in one of the best parks in baseball to pitch in. Not much you can say go against Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, it's just hard to pull the trigger at the price. I would say the only thing the only thing uh, that I would look at as a possible, like he just turned 24 years old. So we're looking at in, yeah. in 2022, he worked – uh, that's six, 75 and two thirds innings. And then last year, when you even add what he did in the inning and two thirds of postseason work, you know, he pushed 164. I mean, that's a pretty big jump year over year. But honestly, that's about all that gives me pause. Uh, you look at that, it's like, okay, he's 24. That's a pretty big jump year over year for workload where they went to managing it to be like, all right, 
go ahead. Uh, Steamer's projecting him for 166, which is about exactly what he threw between AAA majors and the postseason last year. Uh, and yeah, I could see him. I could see Miller and Rodriguez having a very similar price in mixed leagues, in especially in uh, mono league formats. Okay. Uh, let's move on back down the ADP. The rest of these guys are going all pick 180 and below. So these are a little bit cheaper for those of you in 10 and 12 team leagues. These are the guys that are going to be called sleepers uh, when you read some articles out there. Um, but some of them have some pretty nice upside. Some of them may not be pitching the majors for very long. So uh, let's start with Bryce Miller going pick 185. Uh, I feel like he is getting trashed a little bit more than he should out in the sphere. I don't know why people dislike Bryce Miller so much. Where are you at on him? Yeah, why? I don't, I don't get it either. I, this is one of the guys, this is not the guy that I was, uh, again, foreshadowing, but I love watching Bryce Miller pitch. Uh, yeah. And the fact that he's adding a splitter this winter makes me even more excited about Bryce Miller's uh, strikeout potential uh, with that. You look at him right now, and maybe he's, he's going just after Hunter Brown, who feels like last year's Bryce Miller. Uh, and Hunter Brown, maybe that's why Bryce Miller is getting crapped on because he looks kind of like in that profile uh, with that. But you look at the group of the pitching. If I look at the three guys in front of him, Hunter Brown, Brian Wu, and Christian Javier, and then after him, Braxton Garrett, Shane Bieber, Eduardo Rodriguez. I, I I want Brian Miller over all those guys. Yeah, I I like Bryce Miller quite a bit. Like Bryce I know Miller, that Brian. Uh, I, know, <laughs> I know that he had some struggles, uh, you know, with home runs, especially in his last few games. Uh, but, like, I think we can chalk a lot of that up to a guy who threw 131 innings in the, in the majors when no one realistically thought he was going to get kind of close to that. Jumped straight from double A to the majors. Does a really, really good job of keeping men off off base via the free pass. Um, you know, the homers, yes, were an issue in those last couple games. But, like, prior to that, like, he was really, really good at not allowing too many home runs. Uh, you know, ha is a guy that has a pretty uh, complete arsenal. I mean, he threw five pitches. I'd love to see him start increasing one of those third pitches uh, in terms of usage because – a yeah. number of them are under the 10% mark, which we don't really love to see. He did throw the fastball quite a bit. And so maybe that is, maybe people are and looking at And that's where the splitter's coming from. But that's yeah. what he needs. Because if you, if you look at his splits, it's night and day. 12 of his 18 home mm -hmm. runs were from lefties hitting him. Uh, yeah. And his his whip was almost double of what it was against righties. That's why he's working on the splitter in the offseason. And, and kudos to, I don't know if it's, if it's the Seattle front office, if it's driveline, I don't know who's doing it. But he recognizes he needs this. He's got to have something to get against lefty because they. I'm looking at the numbers: 56 innings, 70 hits, 12 of which were home runs, 16 walks, 47 Ks. That's what brought his overall numbers down as those drastic splits. So if this splitter looks decent, that could be a significant step forward for Miller this year. Yeah, but I mean, like you know, to to my point, like if you just cut off the last two starts, obviously you can't cut off the last two starts. But then he's got a 1.02 homer nine. You know, his ERA drops to 388. Like, I think he could be a guy who's like a mid to high three ERA pitcher with a boatload of strikeouts. And I think there's more upside there. Like, I think there's a ton of strikeout upside. It's a good park on a good team. 
I think there's a lot to like in Bryce. He killed you in September. Maybe it's recency bias. He killed you. And I think that, I think that might be part of it. What about his teammate, Brian Wu, who's definitely a guy who came out of nowhere. I'd never even heard of him before. Uh, (laughs) The 2023 season started, uh, came up, had a pretty good season uh, going right around Bryce Miller, pick 180. He's the, uh, He's a player going the highest of the remaining players we're going to talk about. Where are you on Brian Wu? I have no idea what his nickname is, but if it's not Nature Boy, it's just a massively missed opportunity. I'm going to look it up. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be Nature Boy. Uh, so, and, and the funny thing about Wu, because on the, I don't know if you're going to be able to put the table in, in the in the podcast notes. Oh, Brian well. Wu wasn't even drafted last year in draft champions. Bryce Miller went 665. Brian Wu wasn't even taken last year. And now, not only is he being taken, he's going in front of a guy that pitched at the major league. So it's like, to me, it's one of these things where, and maybe that's where the recency bias is. It's not that far. I mean, Wu's not going that far in front. He's going six picks, half a round in front of Bryce Miller. But again, looking after the, the Garretts, the Bieber, the Rodriguez, the Evaldi, the Pepio, who we talked about earlier, Savali. I like a lot of names that ha- I know what they're capable of doing more at the major league that has a longer track record than Brian Wu, who's got, Fewer than ninety innings at the major league rec- at the major league level, so for me, uh, I don't. I'm not hating on the guy, but he's not. He's not somebody I'm targeting at the price where he's gone as high as one fifty five uh, and as low as two hundred seven. Yeah, and I don't. I don't see a nickname on uh, uh, Brian Wu, so we're, we're going to call him. Get on boy. that. Yeah, uh, but uh, my big. I, I like Wu. I think he's uh, a good little pitcher. I don't think he's got. Um, a ton more upside growth necessarily. My biggest issue is he had an elbow issue kind of late in the year last year. I know he came back from it, ended up pitching, you know, uh, afterwards, but that just scares the crap out of me. Um, And when we start talking about kind of, you know, when we get to this kind of spot in the draft, you really start just taking the guys you really like and staying away from the guys that you're a little scared of. And he's just one of his guys that I'm a little bit scared of going around you know pick 180 we start getting you know we, we're getting to guys that you know i think are underrated braxton garrett um Eduardo rodriguez know, i know he's changing teams again but mm-hmm. there's water rodriguez there. and he i mean a rodriguez going to the best infield defense and outfield right. defense in all of baseball uh you know aaron savali you know we're gonna talk about brandon fat here like these are all guys where i think i just feel a little bit better about you know the team they're on or their overall talent level, much less the health, um, and so I'm probably not going to draft very much Brian Wu unless he falls in a draft. And so. there's a YouTube video out there, by the way, where every Brian Wu strikeout narrated by Ric Flair. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, see, that's what a, that's Love. what I'm talking about. Love I'm sure that. At, I'm sure at the Seattle games, there's the uh, there's the the chant for that. But that's beautiful i gotta watch that video as soon as we're done recording <laughs> <laughs> send me the link and i'll throw right, it it's in the, the chat it's in the chat go. all right uh uh hunter brown going pick 182 so all three of these guys miller Wu, and brown all going within a few picks of each other uh is hunter brown your favorite your least favorite or kind of smack dab in the middle of bryce miller and brian Wu? see i Brown, this gets to what I was talking about, or and this is why I put like the ADP uh, last year. Brian Hunter Brown was two thirty three last year, uh, and even with the season he had, he's now one eighty two. But he didn't make a big jump. Like some of these guys went from undrafted to in the top two in the top two fifty, uh, and then yeah, 
we have we have four guys on this chart, and Brian Wu made the biggest jump, went from not drafted to 180, and then we have Hunter Brown, who was going around 180 last year or 230, now in that same uh, boat. So I like, and and this goes, we'll just lump in the next same thing with Taj Bradley. This time last year, both these guys had a lot of helium. They came up, didn't do as well as expected. Not that they were trash. But you know the numbers. The numbers were trash. The pitchers themselves weren't trash. They just had problems. I'm I'm a big proponent of taking those types of guys at that discount. Last year we all loved them. They didn't reach the potential. This year the discounts there jump in on the discount. Uh, and so I just want to loop uh, lump both these guys in together. Hunter Brown and Taj Bradley. After the seasons they had last year with the struggles, I'm not letting that one year like forget it. I'm out on these guys. I want back in as long as the price is right. Yeah, and I feel like the price is right on Hunter Brown. I mean, this is a guy who had some pretty lofty expectations. People comping him to Justin Verland, his teammate because Justin Verlander. It looks like, uh, yeah, and yeah, I know that there were some struggles, especially with the long ball. Um, I also think he got a little bit unlucky. Uh, you know, pretty high BABIP, uh, pretty low strand rate. Got you know over fifty-two percent ground balls. Uh, you know, strikeout rate was you know 27 percent, which damn good for a guy who right? is a rookie <laughs> um you know 355 innings which none of these other guys you know that we've talked about other than maybe Sega, uh did last year so like i think there's a lot to really like in hunter brown yes the, i think he's still a little raw uh but i love the organization that he pitches for like they know how to make pitchers work um I think that this is a pretty good gamble uh, at this uh, point in the draft. Um, and I definitely would take him over Wu. I see the argument for taking him over Miller as well. Uh, he probably should be going 20 or 30 picks higher. So um, I mean, we saw the lumps last year, particularly with the home. I mean, he allowed 26 home runs, 17 of them uh, from Brown came in the second half. He had a four home run outing. Against the Royals, I don't, yeah, I don't know if the Royals hit outside of Bobby Witt, but yeah, he had a four home run against against the uh, against the Royals, but he just got bombed uh, with the long yeah. ball in the second half. Uh, and so, like again, we saw the lumps last year, and if the market's willing to say, you know, I, yeah, we loved him, always going to be this, and then he didn't do that. I love these types of guys. I want to get back in on it, but again, it depends. I mentioned team upside earlier. If you're if you're rostering a full pitching staff of team upside, don't know if you could continue to take that all the way through. Uh, you could get burned. That could blow up in your face. But if you've got safety in numbers and you have the type of uh, other skills to buoy your staff, then Hunter Brown's absolutely a guy that I would take a chance on, especially at this market price. Like I've seen he's gone as low as 206. The closer he gets to 200, the more I like him. Yeah. I mean, to me, we talked about Gavin Williams at the top of the show, and you're getting Hunter Brown, who's a very, very similar guy, playing on a much better team. Uh, in Houston, so better win potential through more innings. Uh, I, for me, it's like I'll skip Gavin Williams and take Hunter Brown a couple rounds later. Fair. So, uh, all right, let's talk about Taj Bradley, another one of your raised guys. It, it sounds like you're in on him. He's going to pick 257, which feels like a little bit too low. There's definitely some erraticness to his profile, but a ton of upside. Are you back in on Taj Bradley? Yeah, getting back to the and again, this would be uh, team independent. Yeah, this is getting back in on the the upside where people thought he was going to be last year. The only reason his ADP was even at 
536 and draft champions last year is because nobody thought he was going to make the team. Uh, there was all this, oh, he's going to get sent down. He's going to do this. Then he got up early. He struggled with command, plain and simple. Uh, you know, he's got the repertoire to, uh, he's got a four pitch repertoire, but he just struggled with, struggled with repetition and, and command of those pitches and got punished for it. And, you know, when I look at 13 of his home runs came off his fastball, 13 home runs off his fastball. That's got to be better. You look at the expected numbers and, and there's a gap in that. But it just came down to command uh, as somebody who watched just about every one of his outings live with that. And so the track record of the organization, I want back in. I don't have to pay a big price uh, to get back in. When I look at the uh, ADP for Bradley, the three pitchers going in front of him, Nick Lodolo uh, on a similar in a similar situation, right? Kenta Maeda changing teams, Andrew Abbott. And then behind them, is Seth Lugo, who's supposed to be a starting pitcher, Reese Olsen, John Beans. Like, I like Bradley better than just about anybody else behind him as I'm scrolling in the recent, like, in that group. Uh, you know, in that right now, he's just outside the top 100 overall pitchers. Um, if he gets higher, if, some, if the market starts to push him up, I'm out. Uh, but uh, like the 226 is too aggressive for me, 283 better. Uh, I want to see Bradley hanging out outside the top 100 in, but if the marketplace moves him up and has him up there with the Sanchez's with the Kikuchi's with the, you know, Brian Bayo and that group, I don't want that. I don't want to pay up there. Oh man. So we, we've been agreeing a lot this episode. This is where I'm probably going to disagree. Some, I like a lot of the pitchers going around him or right up behind him. I really like John means this year. Uh, I, I like the landing spots for both Lugo and Michael Waka. Uh, I'm not giving up on Nestor Cortez, um, you know, but if you, if you, if Bradley were to drop a little bit kind of past those guys, I think then that's a more comfortable spot for me, mm -hmm. you know, having some Homer problems, having some walk problems at times, he's just so erratic. If he looks like he's got the command and control under control uh, in spring training, then maybe I will change my tune a little bit. But this is probably one of the guys that I don't think he's going to end up on very many of my teams. I love the strikeout upside. There's a ton of upside. I think he is just a bit too wild for my taste. And uh, like I said, if he looks like he's more under control yeah. in spring, I'll change my tune very, very quickly because he has got unreal strikeout upside. He's had a 28% strikeout rate in 2023 um and we've seen some pretty massive swinging strike rates from him in the minor leagues and strikeout rates from in the minor leagues again another former top tier pitching prospect which a lot of these guys on this list obviously there are some guys who were really highly touted like Grayson Rodriguez and Bobby Miller all right. these guys kind of came out of nowhere um Taj Bradley not one of those guys and maybe this is more of a matter of kind of some recency bias where I saw him destroy some people when they spent a ton of money on him in fab. Oh yeah. Uh, but I just, I'm, I'm a little bit more tepid on uh, Taj Bradley than I am on a lot of these other guys, uh, including a couple more that I think we're going to talk about here in a second. So and here's the funny thing. So you look at this, uh, you know, baseball savant, you look at the similar pitchers based on velocity and movement. Here are the top five for him. Nick Pavetta, who I just have a thing for. I don't know why. I yeah, I do too. Him, right? I, I can't. I can't give him up. In the right, in the right situation, Nick Pavetta could be good. Justin mm -hmm. Verlander, Dylan Cease, Garrett Cole, Logan Gilbert. Those are the top five names. Usually, you'll see one of the. But you, you see that, and it's like, I'm not saying he's that, but based off velocity and movement, he could be that. 
I think everything, but it's like when you see that, like I would take any one of those five guys on my team right now. But I think that's like the difference is Justin Verlander, good control. Garrett Cole, good control. Dylan Cease, no control. So it's like it also covers the entire spectrum, but the whippiness is there. The movement on the pitches. And, you know, even if, if Taj Bradley became Dylan Cease, I think I could live with that. Although it's so frustrating to what Dylan Cease just, he throws so many pitches uh, per inning and it eventually that catches up. Uh, but if he became Dylan Cease you know, on a better team, like the White Sox are just garbage. Sorry, Craig, I know you're listening. They're garbage. Uh, but Dylan Cease, and you, he would agree with me because uh, Dylan Cease is just commands all over the place. But that's the spectrum of stuff we're talking about. So I, I can't quit on Bradley, even if he were pitching for uh, the Yankees or the Red Sox uh, or a team I despise. I would still be I would still be in on Taj Bradley this year. I think Dylan Cease is a really interesting analogy, right? Because when Dylan Cease is on, he is really one of the fun. best pitchers <laughs> in baseball, right? Yeah. Like, and I think Taj Bradley has that in him. The problem with guys like Dylan Cease is you just never know, start to start, when he's going to be on. And I think that kind of applies to Taj Bradley here. And those are the kind of guys that I think is, if you're in a 10 team league, if you're in a you know a shallow league, like Taj Bradley is a guy you should be putting on your bench, right? Uh, because like there is the upside that if things all do all come together, we get uh you know a top tier Dylan Cease type of season from Bradley. But if you play in 12 team leagues, if you play in 15 team leagues, I just think there's so much volatility there that I don't really want to deal with. Um, obviously he's going cheap enough where he's a pretty easy drop, even in a 15. Um, mm -hmm. but man, give me give me the guy we're gonna talk about last over Taj Bradley. Uh, I'd rather take that gamble. Uh, so I'm always trying to look. I, I'm looking for something in particular. Ah, here, this is what I was looking for. I want to see what this number. I'm trying to guess what Taj Bradley's like location plus is. It's got to be bad. Yeah, I, I would assume. I would it's got to. Let me bad. go down and look. The uh, load. That's play. That's team player stats. Guess what you think uh, his his um, location e plus was. Eighty seven. We get down to Taj Bradley. I'm scrolling. His stuff plus 110. Yeah. His location his plus good. 101. His pitching oh. plus 105. These are still all really good numbers on one for pitching. Yes. It's 101 just that, is when way he misses, better he misses bad, but those are all above league average numbers. For for yeah, for context, 100 on you know on that scale is is league average. So um, I'm actually pretty surprised. Maybe. Maybe I need to sit down and watch a few more Taj Bradley starts and uh, um, some good ones and some bad ones and kind of see what I see. What I see. Maybe I'll come around. All right. For context, let's, uh, Zach Eflin, 98 stuff plus, 108 location plus, 106 pitching plus. Your favorite pitcher in the world, Zach Littell, 92 stuff <laughs> plus, 105 location plus, 104 pitching plus. So the stuff isn't question, you know, isn't questionable for for Bradley. I think that you know, in in those people uh, like our good friend Eno Saris that really love stuff plus and really yeah. love stuff more than anything. Um, of course, he loves stuff plus because the Hall of Famer Eno Saris uh, invented the, the metric. Um, they're gonna love guys like Tash, Tosh Bradley. For me, I while I obviously do love stuff as well. For me, command and control. Is so important for yeah. to protect your ratios. Can you um, put the pitch where you need to put it in the moment you need and need to execute exactly. that pitch? Uh, a final number for you, Taj Bradley's stuff plus on his fastball one thirty one. That, that's Tyler Glass now one twenty eight. 
I'll just leave yeah. it there. <laughs> yeah, that that's filthy. You you may talk me into a Bradley Sheraton. <laughs> um, all right, Mason Miller. Um, this is such an interesting one. You go and pick two twenty one. Uh, this is a guy that uh, on a per pitch basis um, is one of the nastiest pitchers in all of baseball. Uh, however, the reason why I used per pitch basis as opposed to per inning basis or per outing basis is because I don't know how many pitches we're even going to see from Mason Miller. There's already talk that he could move into the bullpen. Um, I know that that makes some people excited, like, oh, he could be the closer in Oakland. They may make him a three-inning guy. Who knows what they're going to do with Mason Miller? Are you drafting him? Because between the injury history, which is massive, uh, and the unknown role, uh, I am not touching Mason Miller probably at all this year. All right, so this was the guy I was talking about earlier when I said, you know, team context. I So last year, so again, Mason Miller went undrafted in draft champions leagues, which tend to run out by January, middle of February. Right, draft champion, pretty much done they, by the middle of February. They still draft him in March, um, uh, but yeah, they they tend people tend to start switching their uh, attention over to Fab leagues in March. Yeah, because I, I my surprise is that he went undrafted. If if he went undrafted in all draft champions, because I'm telling you, I, I think it was the second week of March. It's 10:30 at night. I can't sleep. I'm an East Coast guy, for those of you guys who don't know, uh, and I'm old. So I like I'm flipping through. I turn on a spring training game, and Mason Miller's on the mound, and he throws one pitch. I was like, I sit up in bed, uh, like the Leonardo DiCaprio, pointing at the TV, going, "Oh my god, oh my god!" And so like right then and there, Mason Miller was on all of my draft list, and I took him in my AL only keeper league, and I traded him. Uh, but I took him in, in multiple leagues that weren't draft champions because when I saw him pitch, I was like, "Oh my god." I got to take a shot on this guy. And frankly, when I look at it now, the fact that Miller may close is probably the only reason he's even being drafted because as a starting pitcher, I have zero interest in him because he is, you know, last year he was pitching, came up and then he got hurt. Uh, and then he was out for a long time. And then he finally came back at the end of the season. But Tommy John surgery was never ruled out for Miller until he finally came back and pitched. Uh, and so I, to me, it's in the bullpen. Even then, even if he is the closer for that team, yeah, Trevor May saved 20 games for this team last year. Uh, so it could happen again. But there's a cap on what Miller could do. But you, if you're drafting Miller, you're hoping he's going to close. You're hoping he's going to stay healthy, which is a lot of hopium uh, with that. But stuff like pitch on a per-pitch basis, the stuff is as filthy as anybody in baseball. But if you are – like. Take the same arguments that you applied uh, and everybody that was pushing back on me pushing Pete Fairbanks last year. Same thing's going to apply. The stuff is great. Can he get to 50 innings? I, I would say maybe on that. And again, so if I can get if I can get 20 saves and 55 innings and a bunch of strikeouts from Miller, that's the best case scenario. If he's if they say he's in the rotation, I'm a thousand percent out because that team sucks. And you're basically punting wins right there because he's not going to get any. I don't think the A's are going to push him. Like I really, I think that what will likely end up happening is worst case scenario for Mason Miller, which is he's like a two, three inning guy in the middle of their bullpen. I, I like, which again I, kills I, his fancy value because where exactly? Yeah, I just I don't. I'm not. A handful of, he actually may get more wins as a middle reliever than he was he could. what as a starting pitcher for that. But team. you're still talking about a team that may win 60 games if they're lucky. Like they, they are not. I don't know if they're going to win 50, dude. I don't think they will. Like, <laughs> I think like this again, like, and I said this, like each of the last, I think three seasons, 
this could be the worst team in the history of baseball. I still think it could be. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not touching. I'm not touching me. All right, no peeking. No peeking. Give yeah. me. Give me four names from the bottom half of their lineup projected. Give me four names that you know of. Okay, um, I can probably do this. Uh, Tyler Soderstrom. He's on the bench projected currently. Okay. Um, uh, Jordan Diaz, maybe? Uh, Jordan Diaz is not in the projected 25, 26. Um, well, I take that back. Jordan Diaz is on the bench. There's another bench okay. guy. Uh, Aledmus Diaz? Aledmus Diaz is the third bench guy. You're doing a great job of nailing this I'm, I'm nailing their bench, so you can, <laughs> you know I'm not cheating here. Um, okay, so let's see. I think Noda's probably too high up in the lineup. He is projected leading off. Oh wow! Okay, uh, God, who's there? Is Kevin Smith still on this team? Uh, if he is, he's in the uh, farm. He's no, not okay. on the top. Um, yeah, this is. Yeah, this. I mean, it's so bad. I can't. I'm doing projections right now. I can't even think um, of who. Oh, um, is this where JJ Bladé ended up? He is. JJ Bladé is currently projected as the sixth bat in the lineup. Okay. That's one. Um, who is playing? I, I know. I'll give me a hint. If, if Noda is leading off, who is not leading off? If Noda is leading off, who is not leading off? Lots of speed. Stole a lot of bases. Is it Ruiz? Yeah. He's projected to hit seventh. That's two. <laughs> wow. I, I, I knew Ruiz, but I just I thought he'd be. Uh, is Geloff? Geloff's probably. Geloff's hitting higher. second. Yeah. The other two um, guys is somebody who's bounced around the league. Seattle is probably his most uh, notable stop. Um, and then the other guy, I couldn't guess in a million guesses. You're going to have to just tell me. So Abraham Toro uh, is the third uh, one. And then Daryl Hernandez is their projected shorts opening day. Don't, I don't believe that's a real person. I don't either. Yeah, I think that's... it's something. I think it's something productive. Outs went in there and threw on the depth chart. We and, definitely could have saved. It was like, oh, that sounds like a good name. I'll put that in there. We definitely could have saved this for congressman or Oakland oh yeah, Daryl Hornay uh, certainly sounds like somebody who represents the California Eighth. Oh, uh, what Hornay was uh, place. He was on the Red Sox at one point. I want to say he was traded from Baltimore. He was in oh, the uh, uh, I guess the Fujinami trade. Oh, okay, that the makes sense. Fujinami trade. No, it's right. just rated Baltimore January twenty three. I don't know, but yeah, I just I'm just like who, what? Yeah, uh, exactly. That's a forty eight and one hundred and fourteen record. Yeah. I I'm right there with you. Again, back to Miller. The point is, per pitch, the stuff is as good as anybody in baseball. Yep. But I, it's like really tough path to get to fifty plus innings, and it, it, the only way he's got fantasy value is if he's closing. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, all right, Andrew Abbott was a guy who when he started. Uh, his debut, you know, pitched really, really well, was really surprising, uh, didn't finish out so well, and doesn't have overwhelming stuff. Any interest in Andrew Abbott? I mean, I would like to lump in the final two guys. We've got Andrew Abbott and Brandon okay. Fott here. Uh, so, again, getting back to team context uh, with stuff, for me, I want Fott out of this because you mentioned earlier, yeah. great defense uh, and better ballpark situation. So mm -hmm. it's like when you look, I, I don't remember how close, ADP-wise, Brandon Fott's going 50 picks in front of Andrew Abbott, uh, which makes sense in that capacity because uh, it's it's definitely a better situation. I know I thought maybe some recency bias on Fott, given how he finished the postseason, uh, may be wearing against him, but that didn't. Uh, that's not the case. I mean, he's going starting pitching 
we mentioned Boz, Pepio, Savali. Then there's Fott, and then right after him, Darvish, Giolito, Mason Miller, because I don't know how he's being drafted. Uh, Imanaga, is he going as a reliever or a starter? He's going to be a starter, yeah. Okay, so he's going there. Uh, Detmers, Brian Bayo. This is where this is where you're going to start seeing variability um, in the in the drink. I mean, even Fott's gone as high as 187, as low as 217. So you're not seeing a lot in his, but I can see some names below that I would rather take a shot on. But looking in between these two guys, I'd still would rather I still would rather take Fott than reach for Abbott. I mean, Abbott, like I said, it's going 50 picks later, uh, just in front of Kenta Maeda. But these guys are appropriately ranked. But I would rather end up with Fott on my team just because of team context than Abbott uh, because the, you know, the Reds' home ballpark's a volatile situation. I'm not really quite sure what they're going to do with that offense either. Yeah. Uh, Abbott was one of those guys when he first came up, and I watched his first few starts where I was I was really impressed. And um, he was figuring out a way to make it work in Cincinnati. Uh, but he just doesn't have overpowering stuff uh and i do worry about that home part the kind of the weaker finish makes me a little bit more concerned and i think there's going to be potentially a massive homer problem the price is fine um the only problem with the price is again all those guys i mentioned around taj bradley because you know abbott's going right in front of uh bradley seth lugo uh john means uh you know nestor cortez uh, Michael Walker, like these are all guys I like, even like lower, like Mackenzie Gore. Um, I, you know, I think I would rather have you know, Lance Lynn, Jamison Tyon. Oh, I God, know not Lance Lynn. I take Andrew, but I, I still have, you like, know, I'm not gonna quit PTSD off of Lance yeah. Lynn last year. I know, even Luis Severino, who, like, I don't know what he is necessarily at this point, like, he's a former top 15 starter. Like, I think I'd rather take the gamble. I think the downside is really, really, really low for Andrew Abbott being in that park. Um, and I don't think the upside is near a lot of the other guys going around his spot. And so because of that, um, if he was in any other park, I would be a lot more interested. But being in Cincinnati, I just I'm not going to risk it. And pulling in the stuff plus grade Abbott stuff plus 87. Yeah. Yeah. This stuff is not plus good. 97 pitching plus font is 102, 104, 105. Yeah, going to fought. Um, you know, it is a it is a more expensive price. Uh, you know, Andrew Abbott currently going around pick 253, fought going around 205. Um, fought was a prospect everybody was really, really excited about coming into last season. Oh god, last March he was being yeah. he was being taken in in uh Rotowire Online Championships. I think yeah. I took him in one. Mm -hmm. And and for good reason. I mean, he's a prospect with some really really good stuff, uh, and uh, and I think it's a really good situation in Arizona. You know, obviously he didn't make the opening day rotation, and then he struggled in you know kind of his entire major regular season major league uh, kind of work. But he really shined in the postseason. Um, I don't usually like taxing guys negatively or positively because of the postseason because it's a completely different animal. That being said, it's some. I think it is some confirmation bias. Like, hey, we thought this guy was going to be good. He wasn't, but then he was good in the postseason that confirms that, hey, we think he can be good. Um, he's going around a lot of guys that I really like, uh, Brandon Fott is, uh, but I'm going to take some calculated gambles. Uh, because that defense is so good, that park is good uh, to pitch in, and I think that Fott has some really serious upside 
Uh, I'm I'm willing to take the gamble, but he is. I mean, we obviously saw the downside last season, you know, for Brandon Fought, uh, where he threw, uh, you know, 96 innings of a 5.72 ERA and a 1.41 WHIP. That is for sure the floor. Yeah. Um, and so you know that there's a ton of risk in Fought. Uh, so I think you got to be really smart about your roster construction in your rotation when you pick a guy like him, but I, I'm not out on him, even with the price being around guys I like. Indeed. All right. That is going to wrap us up for our episode. Jason, remind everybody where you can reach on social media and then talk about anything you got going around. Yeah, so you can find me on Threads. You can find me on Blue Sky. If you want a code, hit the Discord. Uh, I've got like five, six Blue Sky codes to give out if folks want to be there. So you can find me there. Find me on Instagram. Uh, pretty much you can find me anywhere but X. Uh, then I have the collect calls. I'm halfway through the uh, bold prediction series. I've got both the West divisions. I have the NL Central done. I'm in the midst of writing up the AL Central. I have the names. I just don't have the uh, the words written out. So that bold prediction series will be wrapped up by the end of the month, which is even a little earlier than last year. Uh, and then, like I said, we've got uh, Wharf Draft, middle of February, uh, First Pitch Florida. If anybody's going down to First Pitch Florida, uh, I will see you there. Uh, I'm hoping to get, looks like I'm going to a Rays Pirates game the day I get in on March 1st. And then whatever the day night game they have us set up for at, uh, or the two games that come in the First Pitch Florida. I'm not sure which, I'm probably going to be a, a Yankee game or a Philly game or a Blue Jay because those are the closest uh, to it. So I'll be doing that. And uh, you and I will be recording uh, most regular Sundays. It depends on what pops up. A little tough. Uh, I know I have at least one Sunday where it's kind of ugly. Uh, but for the most part, uh, rather available. And hopefully we get some free agent start signing. So we've got some actual stuff to talk about. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we get some signings uh, because uh, this is – especially for the top four guys uh we need to figure out where they're going so i can finish my projections uh it is. You, that's the thing that's really the tough part about it all is like you want to sit down and and like put all i would say this like i did the bold prediction series for the nl central a week ago and not that i would change a pick i basically the bold prediction i put for the cubs was say a suzuki would out earn mike trout this year all right but if Michael Bush had been on that roster, I may have written up Michael Bush. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like, that's where I may have gone that, but you know, the Suzuki out earning Mike Trout's a, a bold prediction, but you can see it happening. Uh, but I'm really excited about Mike Bush uh, getting a chance to do something. Maybe he's like this year's Luke Rayleigh. Uh, and to be clear, Bush has got a better hit tool than Luke Rayleigh. But what I'm talking about is a guy that was in the Dodger farm system that couldn't find a path forward, got sent somewhere else and became something. And that's yeah. the track record that I think Bush could do because Poor Matt Mervis. Everybody loved Matt Mervis after the AFL, and Matt Mervis just is not playing out. He may be the next uh, Cubs. I'll give Cubs shock uh, some Cubs some throwback shakes. Earl Cunningham. Uh, if you go back to your your late '80s tops cards, you'd be like, "Oh my God, that guy! He was supposed to be our future." Uh, but yeah. Uh, so excited to see what Michael Bush can do uh, with that club because I mean, Lord knows they turned Patrick Wisdom into something of fantasy value, and Michael Bush certainly is a hit tool. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Everybody loves Matt Mervis except for the Cubs. That's just, <laughs> he needs a trade. All right. You can reach me on um, social media, just Mason FWFB. I'm on every single social media site, though I mainly use Twitter. Um, uh, you can read all my work over on Fangrass and Fantasy Pros uh, and hear me here on the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. At some point, I will probably restart the Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast uh, and the TGFBI podcast. But I've been kind of focusing on trying to get all my prep work done. 
because I've been oh. behind on my projections. So that reminds me, uh, I was also recently on Bench with Bubba podcast to talk about mm -hmm. the race. So if, if you miss Ray's Corner on here, although we did talk a little race today, if you want to hear a whole hour of that, I was on the Bench with Bubba podcast uh, last uh, last week. We actually recorded a day before the Rays made all their moves. So it's like some of this stuff like, hey, we'd actually talked about Luke Rayleigh. He's no longer there. I think we even talked about Andrew Kittredge. He's no longer there. Uh, so we did talk about some things, but we recorded that on Thursday, January the um I think that was the fifth, sixth, fourth, something along those lines. But it was the day before the Rays made some of those roster moves. Uh, so it may have been the 11th. Whatever. I was on the recent Bench with Bubba podcast. So you can go find me in that feed. Uh, yeah. And then uh, I was just on the uh, um, Ariel Cohen's and Ruvain Guy's uh, podcast, Beat the Shift. I and I was also on with um, – I was on the Pull Hitter podcast with Rob DiPietro. Uh, Paul and I were. So uh, if you want to hear more of my voice, you can hear him over there. For Jason and myself, thank you for listening. Have a fantastic baseball offseason. See you guys.